0: Savior to save Jesus who made a way recorded by The Way Embraer. Lead Pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The waste production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Oh, morning, everybody. morning. All right. So we are in uh, the third week of our December series entitled He Will Be, and the idea that we've had is just to be anticipating the coming of the Messiah, right? Uh, we understand what Christmas is supposed to be about, and we've talked about how difficult it can be at times to um, focus on really what the reason for the season is um, and why we should be... Uh, in a giving mood, why we should be in a loving mood, why we should be uh, grateful and thankful and how difficult it can be at times to to do that in the world that we live in, to be Americans and to be Southern Californians and to, uh, to have all the things that we have. What, what we sometimes uh, consider blessings can actually be Uh, I won't even say a curse, but it can make it difficult to understand uh, what's really been offered to us. So our series uh, leading up to this week and leading up to our Christmas service next week is is trying to get us back in that mind frame of what it must have been like to anticipate the coming of the Messiah, to live in a time where he has not arisen uh, or has not come to, to earth yet. So the idea is what he will be. We're looking forward instead of looking backwards. So I want to jump right into uh, to our theme scripture, which is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. <coughs> it says, for unto us a child is born. And remember when, when, uh, when Isaiah wrote this 700 years before the child was actually born, it, it's anticipating what he's going to be. It says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Say Wonderful. 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 Counselor. Say Counselor. counselor. Mighty God, say mighty God. God. Everlasting Father, say everlasting Father. Father. And then finally, Prince of Peace, say Prince Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. This is the one that we're anticipating. This is the child that's gonna be born and these characteristics that he's going to have, what we should be looking for, what we should be waiting for. These first three weeks, what we've covered so far is he will be wonderful. We talked about uh, wonder means uh, this amazement or this idea of something great, something huge, something that makes you say, I can't believe he was capable of doing that or that he would do that, that he would deliver a people out of Egypt, that he would part the seas, that he would be capable of doing these things. That when you think about God, when you think about this Messiah, you should constantly be in wonder. I I wonder when you come to church, are you amazed? Are you excited? Are you expecting to see something like you've never seen before? It says that that's how he'll be. That's what we should be anticipating. We talked about him being a counselor and that we need counsel when we're struggling. When something's gone wrong, when something's not right, when something's bad. uh, That we need legal representation. He is our counselor. Right? He defends us when it comes to the many times that you and I have broken the law, and that God has been good at that, Right, that when he comes, he'll always be available, he'll be ready to counsel uh, in our times of need. And then last week, we saw that he is mighty God, and we talked about this comparison to, to uh, uh, the Marvel Comic Universe, and we talked about Superman, and we talked about all these figures of might and strength, but how they don't really exist. And that we can be led to believe that we serve a God or that the God that we claim to know is powerless, that he doesn't have actual might, that he's not capable of doing the things that we see in the scriptures. Again, we, we kept going back to this idea of Exodus and parting the seas, like the might that it would take, the power that it takes to do something like that. Last week, we talked about Jacob and how his name was changed to Israel and that the mighty God would be able to change names and change identities and change futures and give us hope and give us destiny. All these things that this Messiah will be able to do. And then this week, uh, we see everlasting father, and I'm excited about this one. Matter of fact, I want to pray for just a moment before I get into it. Lord, we thank you. For what you've shown us already just in these, these few weeks, Lord God, what you've been showing us year after year, right, as we come into this place to seek you, Lord. This morning, Lord, more than ever, we ask that you would help us to see you as everlasting Father. Help us understand what that means and what we should be anticipating, what we should be expecting of the Messiah, Lord God. That you would truly be that for us, Lord, as we prayed over a child, Lord, that was going from one stage in life and one stage in this church into the next one, Lord. Uh, that we can see the beauty of childhood, Lord. But let us see ourselves as your children. Let us see you as an everlasting father like we never have before by the time we leave this place this morning, Lord. I thank you for each and every son, each and every daughter of yours here in this place, Lord. Would you bless us with your presence and with your word? We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So it says that he will be everlasting father. Everlasting in scripture means eternal, right? The idea is that it exists before time and it will exist forever. That's what everlasting means. When you read in the scripture, it says from everlasting to everlasting. It means as far back as you can see, as far back as you can think, even further than that, God has existed. He is everlasting. He is eternal. And as far into the future as you could possibly imagine, millions and billions of years from now, he will still exist. Think about that for a second. If he's going to be an everlasting father, what that must mean in the area of fatherhood, in the area of parenthood. As we look at this this morning, think of parenthood when you talk about the everlasting fatherhood of God. Psalm chapter 93, verse 2 says, Your throne is established from old, you are from everlasting. Saying that before there were thrones, before there were kingdoms, says his throne was established from old, he is from everlasting. That's how long God has existed. Psalm 100 verse five says, "For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations." Think about that. His mercy is everlasting. From before time even existed, His mercy existed. And His truth is for generation to generation to generation. It'll never end. Yes, amen. You can stand upon His truth. Amen. Daniel chapter four verse three says, "How great are His signs, and how mighty His wonders? His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. The same idea, right? His throne, his kingdom from from everlasting. It's not something new. It's not something just because we came into relationship with God, it it came into existence. For all of eternity past, his kingdom has existed. And his dominion, his reign is from generation to generation. Last one is Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Micah has this prophecy that the one is going to be born in Bethlehem, All Right. This little tiny uh, city of Bethlehem. But it says that even though he's going to be born there, right, that his goings forth, his coming is from everlasting. Think about that for a second. What it means is that this Messiah has always existed. But at a particular point in time, on a particular place on the planet, the creator has decided to come into his creation or will decide to come into his creation. That's what they're anticipating. He's not just some regular child that's born just like the rest of us were born. He existed from everlasting, from eternity past. And then he chose this specific day at this specific point with this specific star and these specific uh, shepherds that were there to come into his own creation. It's an amazing thing to think about the mind of God. So he's going to be an everlasting father. Fatherhood and childhood are extremely difficult to navigate. Somebody say amen. Amen. If you have been a father or a mother in this place, you know how hard it is to be a father and how hard it is to be a mother. All of us have been children to somebody and we definitely know how hard it is to navigate, navigate childhood, dealing with your parents, dealing with your peers, dealing with growing up, how hard that is. I think there's a lot that we need to think about when God said he's gonna be, uh, the Messiah is gonna be an everlasting father. This morning, Mary and I drove separately to church. So I got to ride with Nate and we talked uh, about a few different things and I thought about how much I love this kid. You know, you know how it is as a parent Like sometimes you're so busy and you you forget to slow down and, and think about things and I'm, I'm sitting next to him And he's telling me about his games yesterday. I was sick I didn't get to go and and uh, I'm thinking man I love this kid and I wish I could express to him and I realized that that even though me and him have a really good relationship It's very difficult to express how much I love him to him, you know so as we're talking and I'm watching the expressions on his face and, and he's feeling that I'm trying to tell him how much I love him and I feel him trying to tell me how much he loves me and neither one of us are doing a good job of communicating it. <laughs> so we pull up out front and I'm just like, give me a hug, kid. Like, he wasn't even ready. He was about to get out and I grabbed a hold of him and I just hugged him and held him for a while, gave him a kiss and, and we jumped out of the car. And I realized that uh, how many parents, how many fathers struggle how many mothers struggle to communicate how much they actually love their kids you know i have a good relationship with my son and it, and it was very difficult and then i started to think about how many kids have a difficult time communicating to their parents how much they love their parents good parents good kids bad parents bad kids what that struggle is like and then as we anticipate this coming one who's going to be an everlasting father uh, i think we have a lot to learn about what that means, how he's going to express that, because many of us don't really have a point of reference for what that means. How can we be expecting somebody to come with this gift that says that he'll be an everlasting father if we don't really know what fatherhood is? If we don't really, if we've never really experienced uh, parenthood in the way that I think the scriptures are trying to teach us. If we've never experienced childhood in the way that the scriptures are trying to uh, lead us into what it would mean to be a child of this everlasting father. So I hope we have a lot to see this morning. I hope we have a lot to learn this morning. Uh, Even just in the ride here this morning, I learned a lot about uh, what God wants to show me. So in Luke chapter 11, verse 2 says, uh, he said to them, when you pray, say, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I thought about this scripture where we're told how to pray to our Father in heaven, and I thought, you know what, this probably is going to give us a good insight into what a Father in heaven is actually like, what his characteristics are. <clears throat> how we should speak to him and approach him. And I think it'll give us a good understanding of what it would, might mean to have an everlasting father. All right? So the first thing it says is, hallowed be your name. When we pray, we pray to our father in heaven, our everlasting father, our eternal father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy, right? It means honored. And I thought to myself, how many of us have ever had a fatherly or parent relationship where we looked at them as Holy. And we looked at them with great honor. Some people respect, some people actually honor their parents, but I think it's rare for somebody to say, man, my parents are holy. <laughs> my father is holy. This is going to be a new characteristic of relationship between children and this, and this father, this coming one, this eternal father. Holy and honored, and here's the thing, though, uh, that it's deserved, right? Right? Sometimes it's commanded and demanded within a home to respect your parents or to live in a certain way or to speak a certain way. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. All that kind of stuff. But in this relationship, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The idea is that it's deserved. He really is holy. He really does deserve honor. So the one that's going to come, expect him to come and be in relationship with you where he uh, deserves honor and that he truly is holy. The second part says your kingdom come. The idea is that he is royalty. And has authority of the highest order your kingdom come you have an actual kingdom which makes you what a king as Americans the the highest authority that we know is the president the president is an elected official that is there to represent the people and the people can remove the president at any time because he's not actually the highest authority think about that for a second it's completely different than having a king a king is the highest authority you don't place the king the king places themselves You don't get to remove the king, no matter how bad or how good that king is. The idea when we're praying to our father in heaven, it says your kingdom comes. You are a king. You are the highest authority. We couldn't remove you if we wanted to. That's the relationship we're going to have with this coming one, this Messiah, this uh, eternal or everlasting father. He's a king. He's not a president. He doesn't have to. Think about that for a second. The king does not have to take the wishes of the people into account. Right? So if you're going to elect a king, you might want to make sure you choose a good one. Right? We hear of democracies, we hear of um, dictatorships, right? where they actually act as a king, but the people are constantly frustrated. Right? Then we hear of a theocracy where God rules, that's what the kingdom or the nation of Israel was supposed to be. And then when we pray to our, our eternal father, we say, your kingdom come, your king. Right? We place him in that position of authority. Then it says that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This idea of heavenly and earthly, this this prayer leads us to understand that this eternal father of ours is heavenly and earthly. He he encompasses all realms. I know that's a lot to to think about, but I want you to think about it this morning. This coming one is not just going to be our our earthly daddy, right? He's going to have this heavenly aspect to him, all realms. The heavenly, the spiritual, the physical, the emotional, any realm you can think of, this eternal father is going to be a father in that realm, okay. right? Something that many of us have never known. Then he says, give us day by day our daily bread. Our eternal or our, um, our uh, eternal father, right, is going to be, our everlasting father is going to be a great provider, a great provider, Many of us don't know what that's like. Our leaders were praying this morning, and we are talking about what it's like to be a child where you never even consider like, where the food comes from. Like if we go upstairs right now into the four to six class, and it's like, where does the food come from? Niall's gonna say, Walmart. <laughs> <coughs> and then you get a little bit older, you go to 7-Eleven class, where does the food come from? Well, it comes from Walmart, but you have to have this card that says American Express. <laughs> Right? Connecting these dots for these kids, they don't, they don't get it that like, somebody had to work yep. and that there had to be some resources in order to purchase the food that they eat. Some, it doesn't even come into their mind. Right? But as we get older, how many of us understand provision? Yes. Right? We understand that you have to work in order to be able to provide. Think about having a father that day by day is always able to provide. Right? Never stressed out about not having enough. Never putting that on you as the child. Like, don't you know, do you, do you feed yourself where you think this money comes from? Do you think it grows on trees? When they get older to like this age, that's when we start telling them stuff like that, right? Right? No, you cannot eat a whole box of cereal in one sitting unless <laughs> you get a job. Right? Think about having an eternal, right, or an everlasting father that's always able to provide but never puts that burden on you. Here's the the thought that you need to keep in mind that what kind of storehouses must he have, right? Because what, what, what the scriptures told us to pray is give us this day our daily bread. Or right here it says day by day give us our daily bread. The idea is not that like he went out today and he found a bunch of food and he gave it to us. The idea is that he has an amazing storehouse of resources. And then every day when you come, he gives you day by day what it is that you need. Many of us have no idea what it would be like to have a father like that. Then he says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This everlasting father is going to be rich. Not like he's got a few dollars, like unbelievably rich. Listen to what the the scripture tells us to pray. As we forgive everyone who is indebted to us right? So if somebody owes you something and you can forgive them, right? You, you can pay that price or you can, you can deal with whatever it is that they owe. But what they're asking is this, this heavenly father to forgive us our sins. So the idea or what, what I want to impress upon you is, is different types of currency. If, if, if I'm American and I give you $100, you owe me $100. I can forgive you that $100, right? If you go to, to uh, the UK, they have euros. So I could, I could go over there and give somebody $500. It means nothing to them. I have to have their currency. Right? They'd rather have 100 euros than $500. Does that make sense? Depending on where you are, the currency that you need. And think about what, they, what we were told to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Right? What, what, the, what we're being told is that the currency for sin is something we don't have. We can't forgive that debt because we don't have that currency. We can't forgive sin. It's not like dollar bills. It's not like emotionally being hurt and being able to say, it's my emotions, I can forgive you for what you've done to me. What it's saying is ask this eternal or everlasting father. He is the only one that carries the currency for sin. Mm. Only one that can pay that debt for you. The one that's going to come, this Messiah, this one that we're waiting for, he's going to be an everlasting father who is going to be rich in mercy and grace, the ability to forgive sins. Something that many of us know nothing about. And then the last one, he says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. These are all these characteristics of a heavenly father. He is going to be a guide and a savior. So he says, please don't lead us into temptation. Guide us in the right directions and deliver us, save us from the evil one. He knows the path and he also knows how to overcome all the dangers associated with walking it. Imagine a father that always knew the way, never lost, (coughs) always knows the path, the right direction, which way that you should go. You can always depend on your father to be able to say, this is what you should do. This is the decision you should make. This is the way that you should go. And then not only that, but doesn't just leave you on that path and say, hey, I didn't say it was going to be easy. You're on the right road, but there's still attacks that are going to come. There's still an enemy that knows that road. Knows where you're trying to get to. And then this particular father also is able to help you overcome all the dangers along that road. Many of us have been left high and dry by our fathers and by our mothers at times. Many of us have been told which way to go by them. And then when we go that way, they're like, sorry, I thought it was going to work out. You're on your own now. This everlasting father is not going to be like that. This is what we're anticipating coming. So what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning, I want to look at a story about a father and two children. Right? And many of us will be able to identify with, with one and some of us the other. And some of us might be able to identify at different times in our life with both of these kids. Um, but what we're going to see is fatherhood. We're going to see childhood. And then ultimately, we're going to see the need for an everlasting father. This is Genesis chapter 27, 27. Uh, I'm going to read quite a few verses, so just try to follow along with the story. Uh, you might not want to try to follow along with the, with the verses. Just try to picture the story as it's unfolding. Genesis chapter 27, verse 1 it says, It came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me some savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look. Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skin of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me, please arise, sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. He said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son, And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Now it happened. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me also, me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now, look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above, but by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? What a story. Say amen. amen. <laughs> I love this book. You guys should read it. <laughs> Tons of great stuff in here. So last week, when we looked at um, the Messiah coming and him, having, uh, him being mighty God, and we were looking for a story where we can see the power of God to do something in, in people's lives, uh, we were looking at actually the aftermath of this story, right? Right? We saw that he'll be mighty God and he changes names and he changes identities uh, when he comes. So what we saw is later on after this story, uh, Jacob is wrestling with God and God touches his hip and takes it out of socket. And Jacob says, you got to bless me. And God blesses him and says, your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is now Israel. Uh, And we saw how God is able to change names and change destinies and change futures and purpose and all that kind of stuff. But it, it came from this actual story, all right? Where we, where we look at today, uh, the reason that, that Jacob was there is because a lot of years had passed by. What did his brother say? Just go to my brother's house, go, to your, go see your cousins, right? And in a couple days when your brother calms down, we'll bring you back. Well, lo and behold, it's been like 17 years and he hasn't been able to come home, Right? He hasn't been able to be in the presence of his brother. And the reason that Jacob is wrestling with God, I didn't read that to you last week, is because he's about to meet with his brother Esau for the first time, and he's terrified. He's so scared that his brother is still going to want to kill him. That he's going to have to pay the price for the sins of his past. Right? Think about that for a second, paying the price. Didn't we talk a few minutes ago about currency? Because of his sin, the cost is what? Death. And he's scared to pay that price, right? So what do we want to do? We want to look at the relationships between these two children and their father first. In one, we see deceitfulness, and in the other, we see depression. The motives, though, of uh, Jacob's deceitfulness, I think, can often be overlooked. Jacob wanted good things. He just didn't know how to get them in the right way. And he wasn't willing to wait for them. The reason Jacob's name is Jacob, the usurper, uh, the firstborn gets the blessing, right? So as they're being born, Jacob reaches out and tries to grab the heel of Esau, right? And then later on in life, Jacob... Uh, uh, takes the birthright from Esau by, by saying, hey, you're hungry, you've been out there, give me your birthright and I'll give you the stew. And then Esau sells the birthright. Like Jacob wanted good things though. He wanted to be firstborn. He wanted the birthright, which is, which is the blessings of the family upon him. And he didn't know how to get it the right way, wasn't willing to wait for the blessings. So he says, hey, I'll, I'll trade you some stew for your, for your birthright, for your blessing." Even in this situation, his mother comes to him who's supposed to be a leader, supposed to be a parent, supposed to do the right things for the right reasons. And she says, we're going to trick your dad. And what does he say? He says, no, it's not the right thing. I might bring a curse upon me. And she says, let the curse be on me. Think about that for a second, parents. How easy it is to teach our kids the wrong thing. He was trying to do the right thing. And then he said, all right, if mom says that I should do it this way, let's just do it this way. And then he begins to lie to his father. But what is he actually trying to get? The blessings of God on his life. I thought about that for a second. How many of us, some of us, myself included, sometimes we just do wrong for the sake of wrong, and there's no good motives behind it, just straight evil because we have sin within us. But I think a lot of times, we've wanted good things, we just didn't know how to get them. We wanted right things, and we weren't willing to wait for them. So we lie, and we steal, and we cheat, and we take shortcuts, right? and we hide, and we do all those types of things. I started thinking about my own kids, and they get in trouble all the time. Uh, it's like the military at our house. There's, ex- there's expectations, and when you don't meet those expectations, there's consequences. But this morning, as I'm going back through the notes, I'm thinking, man, how many times have my kids gotten in trouble? And, and it wasn't like they were trying to do something evil. They wanted something good. They just didn't know how to get it right. And they weren't willing to wait however long they needed to wait for it. I remember how many Christmases I got in trouble because I would find the presents. Because I was like a detective as soon as the parents left the house, right? I was like, man, there ain't no Santa. These presents are here somewhere. <laughs> and I would find them. What did I want? I wanted something good. I wanted to know what I was gonna get. I wanted to know what the blessings were. I wanted to know what was coming to me that I had been waiting for, but I wasn't willing to wait for it. Mm-hmm. That's how sin is a lot of times. With, with Adam and Eve, we, we go back to the original sin. God had placed something there and he was actually gonna give it to them at some point, but they weren't willing to wait. They went after that fruit themselves and took it when they weren't supposed to have it. What we see in Jacob here, we're we're so quick to to kind of um, condemn him, but I think we see a lot of good here too. He wanted the things of God, and he was willing to do anything to get it. Later on, we'll see a story in the New Testament about Simon the sorcerer, and when he sees people laying hands and the power of God coming out and people's lives being changed, he says, I want that. I'll pay for it. How much? And then they start telling him, you are going to be cursed because you thought you could buy the gifts of God. But think about it. He wanted the things of God and he wanted them for a good reason. He wanted to change people's lives. Sin's an interesting thing, how it grows and where, where it eventually will end us up. It says that um, it, it conceives and then it, and then it gives birth. And when it's full grown, it causes death. But that conception sometimes, man, it's not as far off as we like to think. And then what about uh, Esau? What we see in Esau is depression. Right? He was working so hard to do the right things and be the right person, and he consistently came up short. Think about how easy it is to get depressed when you're working so hard. Read through that story, and Esau was like a good son. He was doing what was asked of him. He was going out and hunting. When he, when he lost his birthright, it's because he was working so hard out there hunting and in the field that he came back so hungry that he was like, "Man, I'm willing to sell my birthright uh, for some stew right now. And even this time, his father came to him and said, go out and hunt and come back. I'm gonna bless you. We're gonna eat together. And he didn't hesitate. He went out, he hunted. It said that he came back and he already made the food. He hunted, cooked it, came back, Gave his father the food, and he was like, what do you mean you blessed Jacob? I have a new definition. Uh, it's not in Webster's, but uh, a definition for uh, depression. I put it literally means to be pressed into something and to take the shame, the shape, or form of whatever you've been pressed into. Depression. To be pressed into something, okay? And then you take the shape or the form of whatever you've been pressed into. Think about that for a second. Verse 31, it says, he also made savory food. He brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. So Jacob, or excuse me, Esau, he comes to his father with what? Works. And he's trying to earn the blessing of his father, right? He says, I've done what I'm supposed to do, so now when I give it to you, you need to give me something in return, which is blessings. Think about how many of us as Christians, as followers of Christ, we live like Esau. We work hard so that we can deserve the blessings of God. That's who Esau is, not too who many of us are or have been or can be. Right? But when work doesn't produce fruitfulness, when work doesn't produce blessings, sons and daughters can easily fall into depression. When you've worked and you did what you were asked to do and you've done the best that you can do and you bring that, right, to whoever it is, your earthly father, your earthly mother, your boss, God himself. And when you hand it over and it doesn't produce fruitfulness, it doesn't produce blessings, what happens is we get depressed. We fall into depression. The best I can do is unfruitful. Everything that I have to give does not return in blessings to me. Verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me also, oh my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. Somebody else has taken what was rightfully yours. It's not just that you came with the best that you had and it didn't produce fruit, it's that you actually see other people eating the fruit that belongs to you. And we wonder why so many people are depressed. When the best they have to offer doesn't return anything on their investment, and then they get to see other people enjoying their marriages, going on vacation with their kids, having enough money to go where they want, eat what they want, do what they want, drive what they want, live where they want, and we wonder why so many people are depressed. And we should have the answer, but we don't really have the answer, and we don't really give the right answer. Can't you almost see Esau being depressed down into a mold of anger? And now he is angry. So imagine there's this mold of anger and it's empty. It's pressed in there. And then Esau comes home, right, with this, this gift and this food for his father. And his father says, nah, I already gave that blessing away. And then you can picture Esau being pressed out down into this mold of anger. And then he takes the shape of anger. And now he's not Esau, he's an angry person because he's taken on the shape of that mold that he's been pressed into. Can't you see him being pressed into this mold of sadness? Right? There's a mold of sadness and then he comes in. He's like, oh, Father, bless me also. Don't you have anything left for me? No, I don't have nothing left for you, son. And He's pressed into this mold of sadness. And he's not just feeling sad. He is sadness. He's taken on the shape of the mold that he's been depressed into. And then there's this mold of death. And Esau's been pressed into this mold of death, and it makes him want to do two things. One, it's going to make him want to kill himself, which is making you suicidal. Or two, it's going to make you want to murder somebody else. That's death, right? Mm-hmm. And he's pressed into it. And we wonder why so many people are suicidal. Yeah. Because the best they have to offer produces nothing in their life. And the fathers and the mothers who were supposed to be the ones to hand these things down and turn these things over have done the opposite. It's no wonder why so many of us struggle in fatherhood or parenthood and childhood throughout our lives. In our, in our prayer time this morning, um, one of the leaders brought up, being a child is about being small. And then we talked about how, yeah, that's true, but. The oldest of us in this church are still children of somebody. Which means we're still dealing with some of these things that Jacob and Esau were dealing with when it comes to this relationship with our parents or these authority figures in our life. So this story is a story of parents and children who have fallen short, but they tried so hard to get it right. I think there's more stories of parents and children who are trying hard to get it right and falling short Then we like to acknowledge. It's easier to say that those are bad kids. And it's easier to say that those are bad parents. But I think more often than not, most of us would probably fall into this category of being like uh, Isaac or being like Rebecca, being like Jacob, being like Esau. Actually trying to get it right. So Jacob receives a blessing from his earthly father, but his treachery and his deceit are not dealt with, so he continues to carry that burden. Think about that. Jacob comes in, he lies, he does all this stuff, but he gets the blessing, and he walks away with the blessing. Even though he has to run from his brother, he starts running, but he's blessed. And you see that kind of carry out in his life. But his actual treachery and his deceit are never dealt with. That's something that his earthly father was not able to deal with. Esau gets this consolation blessing, right? He says, hey, you're going to be blessed. You're going to have a lot of everything. You're going to have resources, but it's going to come with the sword. You're going to be fighting for the rest of you. Could you imagine being a young person and saying, look, you're going to have what you want, but be ready because you're going to have to fight for everything for the rest of your life. That sounds like a blessing. That's a curse. <laughs> I got to fight every day. Like I'm going to have some stuff, but I got to wake up and defend it every single day, every single hour. Everything I get is going to come by blood and by sweat and tears. That's the blessing that Esau got. And he's willing to take it. He's like, all right, that, if that's what I get, that's what I get. But it's a burden. He says that you're going to also serve your brother. You're going to have this yoke on you. Eventually, it's going to be too much for you. and You're going to break it off. But even though his father sends him off this way, his depression was not dealt with. Right? Father didn't have any answer for that depression. So what we learn is that we need an everlasting Father. We need need an everlasting father that is capable of coming in to a situation or circumstance and dealing with our actual deceit and treachery. And we need an everlasting father that is capable of coming in and actually dealing with our depression. What is our everlasting father's answer to deceit and depression? Deliverance and resurrection, right? So if you've been deceitful, if you've been treacherous, if you've been a liar, if you've been a sinner, what he says is you need deliverance. You need you need deliverance, salvation of that, right, to be forgiven of those things. And if you've been depressed, you need to be resurrected. You need to be given a new life and a new identity, so on and so forth. So where does this story culminate with this everlasting father? This is Genesis chapter 33, verse one. So we've seen all the story, and now now it's the end of the story. Um, Today, we've already seen how it starts, right, where these brothers went wrong and where this father and mother went wrong and where the family blew up. Last week, we saw how Jacob had this kind of restoration with God and this new identity. Um, And now we're going to see the end of, of the story in Genesis chapter 33, verse 1. It says, now Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming. And with him were 400 men. Jacob shaking, right? Like, oh God. So he divided the children. This is Jacob now. He divides his children among Leah and Rachel and two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. And fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the woman and children, or the women and children. And he said, He said to, to Jacob, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously, graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants came near, they and their children and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near and they bowed down. Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please. If I now have found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand. And as, much as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God and you were pleased with me, please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me. And because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. Then Esau said, let us take our journey, let us go, and we will go before you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are weak, the flocks and herds which are nursing are with me, and if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. And Esau said, now... Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me, but he said, "What need is, what need is me? What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my lord." So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, and Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of that place is called Succoth. So, what do we see in this in this story or this culmination of the story with these two brothers? And they look back at this time now where their father, their earthly father, has been dead for a long time. Right? Earthly mother has been dead for a long time. What we see is that Jacob was forgiven of his treachery and his deceit and given the opportunity to bless his brother without ulterior motives. You see what this um, eternal right? or this everlasting father was able to do in the life of Jacob. In the part I didn't read, go back and read Genesis uh, I believe from like chapter 27. In the story I read right now, remember when, when Esau said, what is this company that I met with? What Jacob did when his brother was on his way is he sent all these caravans of gifts one after another. I think it was like seven different caravans. So a caravan of people and gifts and money and livestock would show up and meet Esau and he would, he would tell them, when you meet him, say, this is from your brother Jacob. And then they'd walk a little bit further, and another caravan would show up, and another caravan would show up, and another caravan. So Esau's like, why did you send all this? I just wanted to bless you. But here's what happened. Jacob had already decided to send those caravans ahead, and then he had that night with God, right, where he wrestles with God. Why? Because Jacob was trying to do the same thing he had done before, right? He was being deceitful. The same way, the same character that he had where he stole his brother's blessing, Right? And he went into his dad and he put sheepskin on his hands and on his neck. And he said, fill me up. I know I'm Esau. You ain't Esau. You're being deceitful. And think about this for a second. He was doing the exact same thing. He was like, I know I did something wrong to my brother and I just want to butter him up. I just want him to be happy when he sees me and maybe he'll forget what I did to him. He was, he was still the same Jacob when he sent those things in advance. right? But then he has an encounter with his everlasting father. Yes, amen. He has this encounter with his everlasting father and he says, hey, Jacob, right? Jacob sent those in deceit. But when you meet your brother tomorrow, you'll be Israel and you'll be able to give it with no ulterior motives. You won't be the same person. Why? Because I'm the one, I'm the only father that can deal with your deceit and your treachery. And we can see that that's what happened here. Because when he meets with his brother, his brother says, why did you give all this stuff to me? He's like, it's just for you, man. I love you. I have more than enough, and I want to bless you. I don't want to take from you anymore. Because Jacob was a taker. Israel is a giver. Israel is a blesser. I've met my heavenly father, and he has changed me. How does a father do that? Because he's rich in mercy. When you meet him, you realize, dang. Dang. He didn't come with condemnation, he came with mercy because he's had mercy from everlasting. That's what we read earlier. So, this Messiah, when he comes, he will be, right? Merciful. He will be an everlasting father. He will show up with riches in mercy. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, You, say me, Me. say me. me, say I. All right, we know who he's talking to. Ephesians 2, 1 says, You, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath just as others. He says he's, he's rich in mercy. He says that we all were like Jacob. And he says why we were still living in that. Just like Jacob was. He was still living in that and sending these fake gifts off, right, to butter up his brother. And that's where God met him while he was yet a sinner. And he showed up rich in mercy and changed his life around. That's what our father does. That's what the Messiah will do when he shows up. So let's look at what happened to Esau. Esau, during his journey of life, was apparently healed of his depression, right? We don't get to know all the background, and we don't get to know what the moments were like where, where Jacob got to wrestle with, with, um, with God and be changed. But what we do get to see is the fruit of change in Esau's life. You know, a lot of times in our, in our church, in, in any church, really, there are certain people where you get to see the wrestling, and then you get to see the transformation There's other people where you don't see what happened. All you know is that they're not who they used to be. All you see is the fruit of them having encountered God and him doing something in their lives. And I think there's value in both. Right? There's great value in both. Esau is one of those ones where the scriptures don't tell us what happened. They just show us the effects of what happened in his life. When he started off, right, his father died. Jacob left. And then Esau actually had to stay and bury his dad. And then Jacob goes on with, or excuse me, Esau goes on with his life and he left, how did he leave? He left sad, depressed in this sadness, depressed in this anger and and depressed with this spirit of death, right? Where he wanted to murder his brother. That's where his journey starts, down a hard road that he says everything that he gets is gonna be fought for and won by the sword. And here we find him rejoicing and loving the very one who caused the greatest pains in his life. Think about that. I don't want to look to the Messiah, cause I, but it's so hard not to, right? The, the Messiah, when he comes, I just believe he's going to say things like, love your enemies. <laughs> I believe he's going to say things like, look, if you love those who love you, you haven't done anything special. Even sinners do that. He says, if you're going to follow me, the Messiah will say, if you're going to follow me, love your enemies. Bless those those who curse you. Do good unto those who have hurt you and deceived you and taken from you. If they take something from you, give them more. Isn't that kind of what we see here? Esau, his brother, after the seven or however many caravans and after the family. Jacob puts his family out front and then finally Jacob's there and he's bowing down. And here comes his brother running. Is he running to kill him? No, he runs to him and he hugs him puts his head on his neck, starts kissing them, and they start weeping together. He encountered a new father. His his earthly father failed him and then died and left him with nothing but but, uh, depression. But he obviously has encountered an everlasting father that's changed his life. Verse 5 says, to me this is the greatest part. Esau said, now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. So not only does he run up to him and hug him it's been so long i miss you brother and all that good stuff and then he says hey let's go together now think about that this little punk brother has been stealing everything from him his whole life everything finally sees him after years and he hugs him and they weep and then instead of saying i did my job how many of us have repented like that right you call somebody hey i'm sorry i shouldn't have done what i did i shouldn't have said what i said and then you hang up like i did my job i'm done with them forever right no esau he After that, that moment of repentance and rejoicing and hugging and crying, he says, let's go together. I haven't seen you in years, but let's take your family, let's take my family, let's take everything that we have, and let's, let's go forward together, right? And then Jacob says, you can see how Jacob has changed too. Instead of Jacob wanting to be the front one and to have the blessings and I'm going out first, he says, no, you go out first. You lead in the direction that we're going. I'll see you when we get to Seir. My family is struggling. They're broken. They're tired. Our animals are tired. We're going to hang back, but we'll meet you where we're going to go. And then Esau says, listen, I want to bless you. Take some of the men who are with me. They'll protect you. They'll provide for you. They'll take care of your family. They'll take care of your livestock and your animals. I want to leave them with you. The transformation in his life from depression, you can see resurrection. You can see a new life that's been built, a new heart that's placed inside of him, a new way of living that's been completely changed and transformed. And it's not because of his earthly father. It's because of his everlasting father. So when this Messiah comes, he will be able to transform our lives in ways that only an everlasting father can. He'll know the depths of our deceit, and he'll forgive us. If you read the story, I'm not so sure Isaac really understood the depths of, of the deceit, but I'll tell you this much. Your everlasting father knows the depths of your deceit. He knows the depths of my deceit, and he forgives us on purpose. And then when it comes to our depression, our everlasting Father will give us beauty for ashes and joy for our mourning. Yes. Right. He won't sweep it under the rug. He won't tell you to go see some other counselor. He'll take care of you. So I don't know about you, and not just in the sense of next week with our Christmas service, but man, I can't wait for him to come. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's stand. Let's, let's pray. <clears throat> everlasting, from age to age, before time even existed. I think one of the things that that make this so impactful for me is to recognize that it's not just this knee-jerk reaction on the behalf of this, this God that's out there somewhere, seeing how bad things are and saying, I've got to do something and and just coming in and saying, what's the best band-aid that I can put on this situation or this circumstance? How can I help these people in their, in their moment and dire moment of need or stress or struggle, depression or deceit? When he says that he's an everlasting father and that from everlasting his mercy has endured, we recognize that this is a plan that God has had in place since before there was time. We live in the year 2019 and we're about to turn the page on 2019 and enter into 2020. And when you really begin to understand that he saw this day before there were days. He saw your situation before he created Adam and breathed life into him. He saw your depression And he knew that he would be the one to have an answer for that depression. He saw my deceit and he didn't run from it or hide from it. He completely saw it and said he has an answer and it's fatherhood, it's eternal, it's everlasting fatherhood is the answer for my deceit and your deceit, for my depression and your depression. He began to speak to individuals and say, I want you to tell them that someone's coming. I want you to prepare the people all over the planet that someone is coming. And he will be wonderful. He will be able to open their eyes and see this eternal plan. He will be a counselor He won't leave them in their depression. He'll come into it with them. He won't leave them in their sadness or anger. He will come into those situations with them. He will be mighty God. Your wildest dreams. Tell the people their wildest dreams of what could be different and how life would be if this hadn't happened and that hadn't happened. He will be mighty God and capable of giving them a new life. And then he'll be an everlasting father. He won't die on us. He won't mistake us for someone else. He won't give to others what's rightfully ours. He'll always lead us. He'll always be there for us. He'll always direct us and empower us and show us how to overcome 100% of the time. He'll change us. He'll save us. He'll deliver us. And He'll resurrect us. God says, go forth. Tell them that He's coming. Then He says, His name will be Jesus. He will be Emmanuel, God with us. This is the one that we are waiting for, the one that we are anticipating. The fulfillment of all of our hopes and all of our dreams. If you're here this morning, (laughs) we've been in this series looking forward to the coming one, that we would be able to really see him for who he is when he arrives. The good news for you this morning is that no matter how hard we try to pretend that he hasn't come, he already has. He's already come into the world, into the earth. And just as he was so unexpected when he came, the way he left was equally unexpected. When he came, so many people missed it. He was here, he was finally here, he was right there before them. He had power and authority, he was an everlasting father. He loved like no one had ever loved. He healed like no one had ever healed. He resurrected like no one could ever resurrect. He showed power that nobody had ever had. And so many people missed it. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity like we give every single week. Because Jesus has told us to. Just want to give you an opportunity not to miss it. He's alive. He's well. He's powerful. He deals with depression. He deals with anger. He deals with sadness. He deals with sin. He has the currency to deal with sin and nobody else has it. No other religion, no other church, no other family, no other friend. It's not within you. It's only in Christ is the currency to deal with sin, to provide forgiveness and newness of life. He was on the cross and he said, behold, I make all things new. I am paying the price for sins and I'm the only one that ever could. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you and you don't want to miss it today, would you just raise your hand? so that we can see you. Don't miss the opportunity to be saved. Don't think you're saved. Amen, I see you, young lady. Don't think you're saved. Know you're saved. If you're on the fence, get off the fence. If you're pretty sure, be all the way sure. Just raise your hand so we can see you. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the one. We thank you for that salvation. We just pray that you would confirm it, not for us, but for her, Lord God. She needs an everlasting father. She needs forgiveness for her sin and her deceit. She needs an answer for her depression and her sadness. We just know that it's you this morning, God, that you rejoice at the opportunity to show her who you are, more of who you are. Would you do that for her, Lord? For the others, if you're here, before I move on, is there anybody else? Speak now, forever hold your peace. For the rest of us, if you would say this morning, if you're honest, that that maybe you haven't seen the Everlasting Father, even though you're saved in the way that you want to see him, the way that he wants to be seen, you haven't been in a relationship with him as a son or as a daughter the way that he wants you to be, would you just take a moment and come to the altar and just allow him to begin to minister to you? This Christmas and this season and this series is about the one we're anticipating and being able to recognize him as mighty God, as wonderful, as a counselor. And this morning as an everlasting father, if any of those areas are ministering to you that you need to be able to recognize him more in these ways and you want to enter into a deeper relationship with him, would you just come to the altars? Would you respond to whatever he's doing in your heart, whatever he's doing in your mind? As you come, I want you to see yourself like Jacob In that critical moment where he would have went on to the next day and still being a little bit deceitful and sending this gift to his brother, but he encountered God in that night all alone and he wrestled with him and he was changed forever. Would you see yourselves as Jacobs and Jacob S's as you come? Hallelujah, Lord. Would you bless those, Lord, as they respond to you, God? I pray that you would open their eyes to see you in a way that they've never seen you before. I pray that this Christmas would be like no Christmas before, Lord God. I pray that they would uh, pursue you, Lord, like the wise men, Lord, like the shepherd, that they would see a light, Lord, that you would show it to these here at this altar. So bright, Lord, and so unique in such a special way, Lord, that their lives would be forever changed, God. We know that you're capable and that this is the desire of your heart, Lord. You are rich in mercy. You have storehouses that have been built up, Lord. As they've come, they've come and they've said, today, Lord, they're asking you for daily bread, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Give them the bread of today, this morning, Lord God. Have your way over them, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this service, Lord. As we close in prayer, as we close with communion, Lord, it is not the, the least important time Lord this is when we get to look back and remember who you are and that you have come and that you have died for us Lord that your body was broken for us that your blood was shed for us Lord that this is a truth this is a reality Lord God we do not take it or receive it lightly God let us have a moment of remembrance let us have a moment of encounter with you with your spirit with your love with your forgiveness with your resurrection Lord with your answer with your fatherhood with your everlasting fatherhood, Lord. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You're released to pray. You're released for communion. Thank you for listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.